We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. He turns. He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. Weather back to Bibby. Has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet, put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento Kings. Welcome to the Kings Beat Podcast. I am James Hamm, Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. Joining me. Fox 40s, Sean Cunningham. Mr. Cunningham, how are you? Doing good, gentlemen. Doing good. Good to see you, James. Good to see you, Brendan, again for the second time today. And uh, excited to talk about exciting Kings basketball. Everyone's high. Everyone's low. We're in three-game skid. Everything's Uh-oh. fine. Everything's fine. Nothing to Calm see down, here. Calm down, everyone. Nothing no, to see no, no. here. <laughs> uh, and, of course, joining us is... Brendan Nunez from the King's Pulse podcast. Brendan, how are you? Doing good. My eardrums might need a second to recover, but doing all right. <laughs> I'm on board with Sean. People need to calm down. Calm down, everybody. Have a sip of tea. Okay, I can. Yeah, I'll do <laughs> I, that. I feel like Kermit the Frog. The Kermit the Frog meme. Nothing to see here. <laughs> do you have thoughts, James? Do you are you different than than what Brendan and I are bringing to the table? Absolutely not. I think uh, this is one of those, like, it's one of those moments where the schedule caught up to them. The early season caught up to them. And, you know, I've covered this team, but also professional sports and watched professional sports, you know, my whole life. And I know that when you win seven in a row, uh, every once in a while you lose a couple right afterwards because it's kind of the balancing of the scales and, in order to win seven in a row, a lot of times you mentally and physically exhaust yourself. And to me, that's what it looked like. This team flat out ran out of gas uh, against Atlanta. Um, they weren't able to recover against a really good uh, Boston Celtics team. They made some mistakes late and uh, against a Phoenix Suns team. So three in a row. But uh, I think we'll dive deep into like some of the the interesting like statistical things of the three in a row that I think make a lot of, I don't know if they make sense, but they tell you some stories. And I, I think that's, um, you know, sort of like what today's podcast will be about. 
Um, okay, so if you guys are watching right now on YouTube, uh, please, if you don't mind, give us a thumbs up. It helps with the algorithm. Uh, if you're, uh, if you so wouldn't mind, give us a subscription here. Also, uh, thekingsbeat.com. Go to thekingsbeat.com and uh, become a premium subscriber of The King's Beat. We're going to have a happy hour uh, coming up, I think, next week. We got a thumbs up. We all got a thumbs up uh, yesterday. Um, but whether or not we... Oh, was that yesterday or the day before? I don't know. These days were running together. I think it was... No, it was, it was yesterday at Shootaround, yeah. Oh, it was Shootaround. Okay. Uh, yeah. We got a thumbs up from somebody that uh, has promised to come on and be on the happy hour. Um, but, uh, we'll have to but, make but. sure we have the date exactly right. Uh, cause it's one of the busiest people in the world. Um, and we'll get to that as soon as possible. Uh, I'm excited about the happy hour. Uh, we've, you know, during the season, it's really hard to squeeze these things in and we do our best to, to do what we can. Um, but I think this is episode 10. Um, and the fact that we've been around for a little over a year and we're at already getting up to number 10, that's pretty good because it's really difficult to land high level guests and, uh, and put these things together. So, um, outside of that, uh, yeah, let's dive into it. Um, uh, do you guys have any, any other thoughts on like, uh, is there, is there a reason to panic at all? Do you see a reason or do you just like, this is the schedule, this is the way it goes. I think, um, there's the only thing I would really panic about is that through what are we at 19 games? Yep. Um, almost tw- 20th game will come up on Wednesday against a pretty uh, interesting Pacers team. And that game, as even Harrison Barnes admitted today, won't be just like any other game because there's some storylines there and some emotions and uh, tickets available too, by the way, I was just looking at that uh, interesting person they had to market that game too with uh, the selection of Miles Turner and not <laughs> Buddy Heald or Tyrese Halliburton sits standing next to Demonis Sabonis, but I digress. Um, the, 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 yeah, I, I feel like when the Kings defense for even little improvements that we've seen in various different times, like they're there, they're certainly there. The defensive effort is sometimes there. If you were watching the, the Suns game, it was really hard to find. And, um, it seems as if I, I feel my takeaway over the past week. And I, you know, I kind of warned everybody. And it's not me being a smartass. It's just like, <laughs> yo, Sean man. I warned three... all you all, <laughs> and you didn't listen. <laughs> well, I could have I been a little more delicate, I suppose. But it's like three games and four nights on an East Coast trip. I mean, that's just absolutely brutal, especially around a holiday. And um, yeah, look, not making excuses, but you can kind of see some of these things coming. Um, and, and I was, I was grouping even in the Phoenix game. I was thinking to myself, man, if you can go two and two, that would be really, really good. Cause you know, maybe a 500 basketball team is, is what we're looking at this year, or maybe even slightly below, maybe slightly uh, above. Um, but you know, 500, I think Mike Brown would be thrilled with, and you go one and two and then, or well, one and three, really, if you cl- include the, the Phoenix game as well. But, um, I, I don't look at much reason to panic at all because you're playing upper echelon opponents. This team knows its record against upper echelon opponents, against teams that are above 500 presently, against uh, playoff teams last year. And uh, I I kind of like what I see. I mean, this team is kind of is, is what it is right now. Um, their identity, like it or not, is a high-paced, high-firepower offense. And even that's kind of dipped a little bit, maybe. 
um, but to be expected with, uh, you know, to get three games in four nights and uh, just some really incredible talent that they went up against. You want to give us the best in the East and then you followed up with the best in the West with the Celtics and then the Suns. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of my reason is to just say, just calm down, pump the brakes, pump the brakes. Yeah, I mean, I pretty much agree with everything Sean said. I think that the Memphis win was a good one for this Kings team. Um, what they held them to, I want to say it was 17 points in that third quarter. And then they held Atlanta to 18 points in the fourth quarter, but only scored 18 of their own. Like the offense has slowed down, but they haven't been shooting well over these past three games, which I think is one of the last things I'm going to worry about with this Kings team. I think they have shooters and the shots will fall eventually for Herter and Barnes and Murray. Like I, I think those shots will end up going down. And I'm not really worried about the offense. Like, I, I think that there was progress in that Atlanta game on defense and that Memphis game, um, the Boston and Phoenix games, maybe not so much. But as Sean said, those are the best teams in their respective conferences. And I, I think it's just a little reminder that this Kings team we're talking about, like, I know everybody was riding a high, but we're not talking about one of the best teams in the West. Like, this isn't a team that's getting home court advantage in the first round or anything, these were going to be tough opponents for them. Um, and I think that they gave themselves opportunities to come away in some of these games, um, except that Boston one, but they were in it for three quarters and then fell off in the fourth. Boston's been totally rolling. So um, I'm not overly worried. And I actually thought that there were little moments here and there that their defense looked better and slightly encouraging. Yeah. I, I mean, look, if I, I'm really going to break down like – I went through and I looked at all all of the like the main guys right over the last three games, um, of of like their top six guys because I, I this is this roster really is shaping up to be like a pretty strong six man roster and then you have some variance on what happens from seven, eight, nine, ten minutes and everything else from night to night. Um, so I'm just gonna include Malik Monk in with the starters basically, and if I'm doing that, I, I can tell you like. Of the starting four, uh, of the starting five, four of them have been absolutely horrific the last three games. They have not been good at all. Um, and I'll give uh, Kevin Herter a little bit of a nod for shaking off the fact that he couldn't hit a three against the Suns and getting to the rim where he scored 18 points. I thought that that was really impressive that he made an adjustment but the adjustments from the other three guys haven't happened at all. And it's really brutal to look at some of the stats, but um, Herter's missed his last 13 threes. Um, and so the last two games, he's 0 of 11. Uh, Harrison Barnes has taken a total of three three-pointers in the last three games. Total. He has missed all three. And Keegan Murray is like... Actually, James, hold, hold that thought. How many shots has Barnes taken in the three games total altogether? Well, like, I'm not sure total, but uh, mm. I can tell you that he is... I'll find it. Yeah, yeah, I can get it here in one sec. I'll tell you that Keegan Murray is one for... Uh, two for ten over the last three games from three, and he's six of 24 from the field, um, and that's including a game where he went five, five of 11. Uh, 21 total shots for HB. 21, yeah. 21 over over three games. Um, and that even seems high because I didn't think he'd taken that many. And so, look, I think here's the problem. When your your offense is completely predicated on a point guard that can slash 
a big man who can pass, and then three guys who are supposed to be shooters, and those three guys stop hitting shots, you're pretty much cooked. And I, like, you can, I'm going to blame it on fatigue and on their legs and, and all that stuff because that's a real life thing that happens. Guys start, the first thing that goes is three point shots. That's the first thing you lose. And to me, that's what it looks like. Uh, you know, if you take away the ability for the guys to shoot, the spacing for Fox and Sabonis gets worse. And so they're not getting the same looks they were getting before. Um, the fact that uh, that uh, De'Aaron Fox, to me, looks beat up. And, like, we watched him. He, he said he was fine last night. But I watched him walk over to his locker. And he's, like, walking so gingerly it's it's crazy. And then you guys go to practice today. I, I was on with D'Lo and Casey all day. Uh, well, it was me and Damian because uh, congrats to um, Kenny Caraway and his family. They uh, just had a new a new little baby born uh, over Aww. the weekend. Yeah, so we great. Got baby Caraway. Saw pictures. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely beautiful little girl. Um, so, uh, but uh, you guys talked to, to, you were there at practice today, and De'Aaron's limited, right? Uh, he's beat up. Like, it is what it is. Like, guys, at the 20-game mark, like, it's kind of like the third day of training camp. Everyone at this, the third day of tra- training camp is like, where's the ice? I need the ice now. Yeah, I mean, I think that we've also seen, like to your point, talking about the main six guys, I think that we've also seen them grow a reliance on those six guys and, and they're playing a lot of minutes. Like it was really evident to me in that Memphis game. Um, I'm sorry, the Atlanta game, second night of a back-to-back after they were in Memphis. It's a bit of a flight for them. And then they just look totally tired. The two guys that look good was Malik Monk, who got ejected in the game prior, only played 19 minutes and Trey Lyles, who hardly played the night before as well. And I don't think it's a coincidence those guys look good. Like, I I think that, I mean, it's happened three games in a row now, so maybe outlier isn't the right word, but I still want to say that this shooting is an outlier for all three of those guys to go cold or or kind of not even get the shots up in HB's case and and Keegan to an extent. Um, I I just don't worry about that too much myself. Like, I, I think that those will start to fall. Um, but they really do look tired, and I think a lot of it has to do with heavily relying on those six guys, and then it's kind of just spot minutes after that. And, and Davion's, I, I think, emerged into like a big part of the rotation as well recently. Yeah, and you know, I I, can't, I feel like I'm banging the same drum, but I just don't worry about this team offensively. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, if there was the things I kind of harp on the most is Harrison shoot the ball. <laughs> um, uh, Demonis, hopefully, Demonis Sabonis can get to average twenty points a game. I'd like to see that, and Herter have have more opportunity. Uh, I'd like to see that as well it, it, to hoist up more shots. I mean, Malik Monk is playing incredible right now, but I know we just spent a, a moment there looking at three point shooting and all that kind of thing, and, and 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 it's warranted. I get it, but to me, it just all starts and stops with this team on the on defense. I mean, they're a sieve, man. It, it's just. It, it's it's really really bad. It, look, like they've got again. I still I do see the strides they've made, but in situation I think, and again, Devin Booker is one hell of a player, and there were there were some instances where they made it tough on him, but I think for every every moment I saw him just absolutely um, make an incredible shot, there were probably two others that was just so easy. Uh, Damon Lee just absolutely raining threes from beyond the arc with no one in front of him. 
uh, was was crazy in the in the Phoenix game. Look, Phoenix is a, an incredible team, and and they were without Chris Paul. Campaign has played really really well, uh, and he was kind of a non factor in that game. So there there there's certainly these silver lining moments for sure. But to me, with this team, it just always comes back to defense, and you're just hoping that they can make a, the the smallest amount of strides because it will equate to big things, especially when this team, which is known as this firepower offense, uh, as we've seen through 19 games, start to have games like they have recently where maybe that comes back down to earth a little bit. Um, and I, and I, I also think that, <laughs> like, we talk about it. You're not catching anyone by surprise anymore. And I think Mike Brown said it best before the game uh, against Phoenix, which was, hey, you know, teams are – Teams are scouting us differently. Um, we've shown that Sacramento is not going to be this rollover game anymore for a lot of uh, uh, opponents that are coming into the capital city and thinking that this is a laydown game, rest guys, whatever, and take it lightly. And uh, to their credit, you know they've shown the ability to be competitive even among the league's best. So, um, but when I really analyze it, man, it's just it, everything I see is just defensively, uh, and it and it just continues to stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah, I'll say this like. I get you on the defensive end, um, but I'm also going to say if the offensive is efficient, then you get you get to set your defense, so that helps. If you set your defense, your defensive rating will improve. Uh, their offensive efficiency has dipped in the last couple of games because they just you know they really they haven't been the same without hitting shots. So like bad offense does lead to bad defense for sure. Uh, especially if you have the bad turnover games, which the Kings have had a couple of those where all of a sudden they're turning the ball over like crazy. What was the game where they had like 10 in the first quarter? Um, so I think that that would help on the defensive end. Um, I know that Mike Brown said that they weren't going to let Devin Booker beat them at the end of the game. And then it was Damian Lee that beat them, right? Uh, and that was because they were sagging off to try to make sure that they took the ball out of Booker's hands. Booker got on a heater, and I think the stats, Will Z posted stats at one point, but I don't think he had a single quote-unquote wide-open shot. He had, most of his shots were, uh, like, even if it was, like, close to wide open, like he was four of eight, but the rest of his shots were very well defended, and I thought he, you, you gave a guy who's a great scorer confidence, and then he made you pay for it, and, like, that happens all the time. Uh, but it happens more often to the Kings because guys already come in with an understanding that it's not a good defensive team. And so even guys like Kevin Knox starts hitting threes or, uh, you know, Killian Hayes, who walked into that game as like the worst offense player in the NBA and hits a, a handful of two, I mean, uh, a pair of threes in, in the game. So, like, I think the defense is bad. I think they're making some uh, some adjustments that I think are good. Uh, and you know, that kind of brings me to like, like Mike Brown is still searching for that back end of the rotation and having Trey Lyles go out due to illness was one thing, but we see this, this moment. And I know Brendan, you captured the moment. I, I was watching it and, uh, in, in real time as well, where Terrence Davis kept making mistakes on the defensive end. And Mike Brown, not only called a timeout, like he has like eight times a season because Terrence Davis has made a mistake on the defensive end. Um, but he pulled him all the way out onto the court and sat there and had a coaching moment with him. Like, where do you, where are you guys at with that? Cause I thought it was like a bold move 
but also something that had to happen. And then, of course, Terrence Davis responds. And not only does he make a big stop on the defensive end, but it kind of woke him up on the offensive end. Um, it feels like Mike Brown, again, is is coaching his ass off in most games. I mean, I definitely agree. I'm a big Mike Brown fan at this point. I, I think that he's done a he's done a good job at enabling his guys and, and optimizing the talent on this roster. And I think that moment with TD, like he said before, that Terrence Davis is one of the guys that he feels like responds best to him being hard on him. And, and TD will say, like, stay on me, coach. I appreciate it. And I think that as much credit is deserved to Mike Brown in that situation, like you said, like it's happening in the open in front of everybody. He's obviously getting told that he was doing something wrong and or what to do better more so. Um, and TD responded well and, and learned and, and then did it a couple plays later, drew a foul or drew a charge on Aiton. Um, and coach went crazy on the sidelines, threw his hands up in the air, was jumping around. TD smiles at the bench. It, it was a fun moment. Um, but you know, TD's a guy that does respond well to that. And I, I think that, um, we've seen most guys respond well to how Mike coaches this team. I, I think he does a good job getting the most out of guys. Really. The defensive plays like that. It, it seems I, I love watching the bench for reactions. Um, you, everyone's seen what it looks like when a guy hits a big shot, you know, a crazy dunk and posterizes somebody. It's almost more impressive and more funny and, more amusing when the way the bench responds for a defensive play. And that was uh peak Mike Brown with that celebration. I'll even rewind it a bit. Or actually, I think jump ahead is when uh, Shemezi Metu went out and was guarding Devin Booker. They were throwing a big at him and, and Metu blocked a three point opportunity and it led to a bucket on the other end. And then, you know, Phoenix calls timeout. And Mezzi's kind of pretty stoic as he walks back to the bench. You know, he's high five and everything. He gets to Leandro Barbosa. First of all, the bench had already blown up. Like, they all responded to that moment. Now he's walking back to the bench, and the bench is all hyped up. And Leandro Barbosa, he has a fun celebratory moment with him. I mean, it's just – it's it's you can see that this team is 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 taking on the, the personality of their head coach and the staff because defense is such an emphasis – and it's being celebrated more so than the moments that uh, might electrify a crowd, a big shot, and you know, and a big dunk or something like that. They're they're because it's so few and far between. They're really wanting to celebrate the moments of great defense when they happen. Yeah, you know what? There were quite a few moments in that game of great. I mean, De'Aaron Fox had three blocks, including two like spectacular one on a three point attempt and one on a jumper in the in the like middle of the key. I thought that those were good moments for him. Um, but I also like if you you want you fast forwarded to that moment, I'll go back. Um, Terrence Davis got, you know, blasted for a play. If you remember back in the first quarter, it's the same exact thing that they were telling Keegan Murray to do because Keegan uh, basically got in the way on an eight and spin move and and slapped at the ball and and got a foul call and it was because he didn't hold his ground and because he wasn't fully engaged in what was happening but it's almost like the kings knew that play was coming and in order to stop Aiton, you've got to basically plug the middle of the key and so i thought like again the coaching that was in that game you're going to face a guy who gets on a hot streak like that and there's nothing you can do and i didn't think the defense was horrific the whole game I thought there are certainly moments where you're like, oh man, that, that was bad, but it's those little tweaks. And, um, you know, they keep, 
we keep hearing like the little things that they talk about. And someone asked during the press conference, what are the little things uh, that you keep trying to bring up? And I think Mike Brown talked about some of them. And, you know, for a guy like Keegan, he's going to get yelled at just like, just like uh, Terrence Davis is for making the same mistake because this team seems to be walking in with a pretty decent game plan. And whether it works out or not, you know, really does depend if someone goes like, uh, goes nitro, like what we saw out of, out of Booker. But overall, like, I, I think they are making some improvements. They are playing better together. Um, it just, this team isn't built to have a night where everyone starts missing their shots and everyone is, is like having an off night. Right. And I think um, your point earlier of, you know, bad offense leading to even worse defense, like their defense in the half court is bad enough that they can't uh, make it even harder on themselves. And it's really those turnovers like Booker. I, I thought they did a decent job containing him most of the night, but I thought early on, like he ended the game with six kill, uh, six steals. Um, and I Booker wasn't like being a crazy defender or anything. It was just lazy passes that were easy looks for him. And then I thought they let him get in a little bit of a rhythm. Um, and then from there, you're just battling an uphill battle. Like, I, I mean, the fourth quarter, I understand the logic of get it out of his hands because I think he already had close to 40 at that point. Um, and you just hope that the other guys don't beat you and make quick enough rotations. And that's what ended up happening. But like, I thought it's, those sort of details that the good teams will really take advantage of. And I, I think that's what we saw with Phoenix and Boston. Yeah. And, and even the Booker thing you brought up, he, I think he had six turnovers too, right? Like I think he had a big turnover game, um, but everyone talked about it. Like during the post game, it was those layups early on. They got him going. And once he started to get confidence, you were pretty much done. And then for the Kings to not have their guy, who usually plays that way, like step up and play in those moments in Fox, who really just, to me, again, he was a step slow. That's what he looked like. He looked like he was hurting. Um, I know this, this seems really random, um, but like we've noticed the last three games that Fox is limping around a little bit. Do you think it has anything to do with the fact that like three or four games ago, he switched shoes and then he switched shoes again? I don't know if, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Because he's gone from, in the last four games, I believe he's gone from, or maybe five games, Converse to Under Armour to the last game he played in, in New Balance. New Balance, yeah. The New Balance, those yellow New Balance, I had to look at them uh, when we got in the locker room. I was like, what are these? <laughs> I know, you were like, Sean was over there like, what are these? I think I have to have a pair. No, I didn't want them. I was looking, I was like, these are... I just had no idea what the hell they were. Um, yeah, I it, it could, uh, but I don't think that that's the problem necessarily. Um, it's it's something worth monitoring, but yeah, I didn't even really. Uh, I, I think D. I mean, for one thing, he's not gonna. I don't think he's gonna miss any games with this. He's gonna play, try to play through it. Um, I I feel like he's had uh, moments where he's drawn a lot of contact, especially when he's in the paint. Um, but even last night. You know, for a guy who didn't play well, he certainly tried to recognize the moment and do the typical fourth quarter Fox that we've come to see. It's just the the starts have been have been really bad, and he shot really poorly, obviously. Um, but it, I feel like this team is so much more well suited 
for when, if whether it be Fox, Sabonis, uh, like you almost don't need De'Aaron to score thirty points a game, twenty five points a game, twenty points a game for this team to 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 win games. You really don't. It's nice when he does, but as we've talked about, we've seen what this team can look like when things are clicking, and it can be somebody new every night. And we've we've seen them win games when Sabonis hasn't been the most effective on offense. We've seen games what it looks like when Fox hasn't. So uh, last year. I wouldn't have said that last year. I was saying that, man, you really need, this is even before the trade for Fox. You really need De'Aaron Fox to score 25 upwards of 25 a night for this team to win. So, um, yeah, I mean, it'll be worth monitoring to see how the health is, but if he's sore, but I think they've just played a lot of games in a very truncated amount of time. Hasn't been much time off, uh, in between and, uh, it's not getting any easier. <laughs> no. And, and he plays a really physical game. You know, he's finishing around the basket over all these, seven foot guys playing through contact. Um, he's, he's been more engaged defensively, which involves a lot of physicality. Coach Brown is always preaching uh, being physical on defense without fouling. Um, so I, I think a lot of his shots in that Phoenix game were short. And that's kind of what we've seen recently, which I think is another sign of just kind of being tired and, and being limited at practice today, just because of general like aches and pains, um, I, I think speaks to that. So I don't think it's anything to worry about. I mean, obviously, he does need to bounce back here soon. Hopefully that Indiana game can be that. Um, I know they say like first game back from a road trip is a tough one, and it doesn't help that you're against Phoenix as well. Um, Indiana will be a good matchup. Um, I thought it was interesting. I tried to ask De'Aaron if he gets if he was a little excited for the Indiana and uh, game to see but play against Buddy and Ty, and he just said it not any more excited than I am any other game. And maybe that's because I asked prior to the Phoenix game. Uh, but I thought that that was a little interesting, but I want to go back really quick. Why would the shoes be a problem? I, I feel like explain that to me, I guess. Um, well, I mean that sometimes guys can get different shoes that like, uh, that just are sore on their feet. Um, it's just like anybody else, whether you're doing uh, something active or even just walking out a friend of mine. Um, actually I'll give you a perfect example of, uh, one of the, PR guys for the Kings, Avery Jacobs, was wearing a different uh, canvas pair of shoes. They were Vans, and they were hurting his toe the way that they crease. They, you know, it's Vans can be kind of difficult. Deck shoes can be kind of difficult as well for some people, especially around the toe. So, um, yeah, you go from different models. You're used to playing in a different uh, shoe or a certain shoe for the majority of your career. And for, for De'Aaron, that's been Nike. So, um yeah, he's a free agent. I don't think to me it doesn't I don't think it's a it's a foot injury with him or even sore feet. I just for me I just think the probably a whole body ache, you know, just one of those yeah. he needs yeah. he needs to get in a hot in a, in a cold tub and just and just sit there for an hour. So, um rest and relaxation is going to be the best therapy for him. And unless, you know, when 5:30 coming up, well, we've got about uh, 25 minutes until the injury report comes out and maybe he's on it. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not saying, oh, it's this, this is the reason, this is the reason. I I'm just saying, like, look, it, it could be a contributing factor, the fact that he's pretty beat up over the last few days. Like, switching shoes is, is like a delicate balance. You never know when you'll get something that all of a sudden just, like, makes your body, like, hurt in a weird way, especially if you haven't worn, like, that style or brand of shoes uh, in the past. Um, I Like... Not to like look for reasons or 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 things that are were, are standing out, um, but it, it does feel like the other issue is that if I've got four starters that 
all go uh like kind of like they all hit the skids at one time i know it can be schedule i know it can be because one guy sets up the other guys or the other guys open spacing for the other guys like they can all has have cause and effect but this is also like we're getting to the point in the season where you know they have had a lot of practice time within the season they have had which is kind of strange they have had a lot of games but they also haven't had a bunch of back-to-backs. The only two back-to-backs they've had, to me, are their two worst games of the season where they didn't look good at all. Um, well, maybe not their two worst games. I think the Boston game was the worst game of the season. But the that was, you know, the day after the, the worst game of the season or two days later. Um, Mike Brown is known for having, like, elongated practices and, uh, and like, even his shoot-arounds, like, they're an hour and a half, two hours long. Is there a potential for like a little bit of overuse at this point and, and guys' bodies like hitting a wall and then like maybe cl- bouncing over that wall like in the next couple of days, but at least maybe a little bit hitting a wall here physically? I wonder about that myself. Um, I've asked about it. I've also, t- you know, it, it was it, during the time of uh, the shoot around when, you know, they spent the 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 silent practice going for for thirty minutes or way longer than it was supposed to, uh, I think those are certainly uh, new you know little little annoying moments that have happened with with some of these players who may not be used to that level of detail, but I think what what's happened is I don't think these practices are really all that um, exhausting. Uh, I think in training camp, certainly with a lot of the running that you've seen, but I think so many of these these practices and shoot-arounds have been a lot of teaching moments and um, a lot of film and a lot of walk-through stuff um, that, not to say that they take it a, a lackadaisical approach, but I don't think they're m- the most physically taxing at this moment. I think they're, they, they tend to be a little bit more mentally exhaustive than anything, and when you couple that with the trip they're just coming off of, I think certainly they've utilized days where – in the past, they might have used as a maintenance day or a uh, a complete off day, as opposed to come in and 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 spend with the team and and rather than uh, just use a a maintenance day or a rest or relaxation or rehab day to actually get some work in. And historically, they may not have done that. And we've seen that last year. There wasn't a lot of practice time. There was literally game, 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 and they were utilizing the pregame walkthroughs more so even than shootarounds. But I will say, I think the shootarounds are things that have compounded as well. You know, a lot of these players who have been here in Sacramento didn't have a lot of morning shootarounds. So many times they would utilize that that pregame walkthrough, and your your schedule is a little bit different. But for me, it's kind of like what I said about Mike Brown when he first got the job. These are necessary. You're teaching these guys how to be professionals. You know, this is this is professional basketball, and most most teams come in and will do shootarounds and do practices and have this attention to detail. And that's why I thought Mike Brown would really benefit this team because they haven't had a lot of that. I mean, I think that you guys would have a little bit better perspective on what is and isn't a lot of practices. But to me, for just comparing to last year, this does feel like a lot, but not extremely so. I don't think it's vastly different in my mind. Um, to me, it almost makes me wonder, like, is this just seeing that the Kings don't have good enough depth and they don't have enough guys to help take the load off, off some of these starters or those top six or seven guys, you know, like it 
sounds crazy in a way, but like would Trey Lyles have made a difference last night against Phoenix just for some depth? And he has his nights where he's decent out there. But I, I think that, you know, if there was another reliable player that you knew you could get 20 minutes out of a night um, that maybe that would help with this. So I, I'm not really sure about the practices. Like I said, I think you guys would have better insight on that, but I, it does make me think of the depth on the roster with how much reliance has grown on those six guys. And then, starting to be Davion as the seventh. Yeah, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. Like, if we look at the top six guys and then we even throw in Davion, who's averaging, what, around 19, 20 minutes a game now, um, like, there isn't really another pe- person who is consistently playing, eating a bunch of minutes. But I'd also point to the fact that Fox and Sabonis both are averaging around 32 minutes a game not around 34, 35. I mean, if anyone's playing more minutes than they're used to, it might be Herter, who's at 32 versus like 30 that he averaged last year. But I think each of these players, it's within like the basics of of what they have been as a player throughout their their careers. You know, it's not like, like the variance isn't great enough to like point to it and say, oh no, they're working more than they, they have been in the past. So I don't know. I mean, it, to me, it's intriguing. It's a, and this is just food for thought. I don't think we're like, I'm not throwing any acquis, accusations out there that Mike Brown has worked this team too hard and they've just run out of gas. That's not what I'm saying. But it, there are things that I'm kind of looking at and saying, okay, if I got four starters who just absolutely go in the tank three games in a row, maybe we should start looking deeper into what's happening. And, and the other thing with shoot around, which is, Mike Brown's decision, which, but, um, I I think it's different is that they never shoot around in the gym. They always shoot around at the practice facility. So they're never on their court. Um, I don't know. Kevin Herter is a much better shooter at home than he is on the road. Uh, so I don't think that it really matters. Uh, but you know, I I think it's something that's interesting as well. Cause like what Sean was saying, Luke Walton used to have like four o'clock walkthroughs, uh, probably about, I don't know, 40 or 50% of the time. He still had some shoot arounds in the morning, but they would close the bowl. So we're not allowed to like look down and see what they're doing. Cause of course the Kings have magical secret stuff that no one else has ever seen before. Um, and us reporters are going to report these magical things that they're doing, uh, during those, those walkthroughs, but like they would do a walkthrough from like four to four forty-five. Like Mike Brown is doing a walkthrough, is doing a shoot around from like 10 to 11:30 on game days in the practice facility. So I just think it's interesting. And this this team also the other thing we've seen, they lift after every game. Like a good portion of these dudes are going into the weight room and hitting the the weight room afterwards, and that's why we're not seeing them in the locker room until way later. Uh, so I, I don't know, like the wear and tear. It's something you have to monitor, and I know that there. Um, I've talked to guys about this that are in like the analytics field. There is no true test for like predicting injuries yet, but there are some measures that the Kings do to make sure that they're tracking guys. Uh, they track like, um, you know, you guys have seen the jump boards, right? That the guy, there's a guy sitting outside the locker room uh, when a guy goes out to do his warm up. He jumps up and down like four or five times. When he comes back out, uh, he jumps up and down, and it it captures basically acceleration, deceleration um, off their their leaping ability. 
Um, and they track that every single day with every single player. Uh, they also do like measurements on like their, uh, their ankle flexibility measurements, their knee flexibility, and they're tracking to make sure that players, they can't actually see where players are starting to like not have the same bend. Uh, they're losing their bend and stuff. So anyway, I, I think it's interesting, uh, food for thought just to like, kind of, kind of get us through some of this pod, um, Outside of that, like, uh, we've had such a, a focus on Keegan Murray. Are you guys, like, where do you think he's at? Because uh, we've had we've had conversations with him lately. I mean, clearly he's struggling. Clearly he's got the off-court situation with his grandmother. Um, there's been a lot of, you know, like, he's just, he hasn't looked like the player that we saw, uh, certainly in, in summer league or, or training camp uh preseason first couple of games of the season but then again he's a rookie and like i don't have a ton of concern here but i know a lot of people out in the world like like seem to be on fire about concern for him yeah i'm not concerned with him either i think um it's just finding your way finding your way through defenses not being scouted the same way you know maybe a uh you're not able to get to your spots as quickly or as easier as you used to be able to. It could be, you know, can't get the shot off as cleanly or as quick or maybe as uh, quickly or as slowly as you usually do. I don't know. Um, I don't think there's much reason for concern. I do think that I'm still waiting for that game where Harrison Barnes and Keegan Murray, both are productive on the offensive end. Uh, It just doesn't seem to happen yet, but he Mike Brown has talked about how Keegan is being asked to do a lot. Same thing with, with Harrison Barnes. And so I feel just the, it's all kind of catching up, you know, and I, I think he'll have a pretty breakout game at some point, be it a 15 or 20 point game here in the very near future. But um, he doesn't look like he's wavered on the confidence or composure element, which is to me the most encouraging sign. And for everything I know, I mean, the guy's healthy and, 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 uh, you know, acting as if the same as if he'd gone out and scored 40, you know, which, cause he doesn't, you know, he's just a guy that's just so mild mannered. So, um, no one seems to be really, uh, worried about him from the team standpoint. Yeah. Brennan, I'm going to like twist that question a little bit. Mike Brown did say something that I thought it was intriguing. It was that Keegan's playing for a team that actually wins and losses matter where a lot of his draft class is not. And so in that situation, you typically let a guy play through a bunch of mistakes and you're working with him along the way, but knowing that he's going to make a lot more of those mistakes when you're playing for a team that has aspirations of making it to the playoffs and are in the hunt, you tend to like, he's going to have a much shorter leash in that situation. And I kind of buy that, uh, but I don't know. Where are you at? I, totally by that too i mean he looks like he's almost a little in his head like i I felt like yesterday was one of the first times i I think he missed a shot and his body language like almost just kind of put his head down and and it's kind of atypical for keegan i feel like but i can only imagine like i mean like you said coach brown has a short leash on him because this team is expected to be winning games and i'm sure that that hurts your confidence when you do something wrong and, and get pulled right away um and you need to be able to kind of reestablish that confidence and i don't think that the shots not falling obviously hurts in that aspect as well um i i think that defensively like he's recognizing the rotations he's just like a step late 
And I think that recognizing them in the first place is, is typically a good thing. Like that's going to come around. I think that's typically one of the biggest adjustments for rookies. Um, I thought Harrison Barnes's perspective was really interesting today of like, he pretty much said that everybody has up and downs. It doesn't matter if you're a rookie or a, you've been in the league for 10 years and like, maybe this is just a down period for Keegan Murray. Like we've seen what he can be. Um, I'm not worried about him long-term. I think he's a plus starter in the NBA for a long time. Uh, the ceiling might be a different story that we've talked about before. Um, but I, I'm not worried about Keegan Murray. I think it'll come around, but I do think that he really needs a game that these shots are falling to kind of get him out of his head a little bit. I also felt he was getting pestered. Uh, especially with the way Phoenix in particular was was kind of roughing him up a bit. And to your point, Brendan, I, I may have read that situation a little bit different. When he was coming off the floor, I thought it was because he wasn't playing with a physicality um, and, and matching some of the physicality that he was being met with from Phoenix. That was just my read. And I think he was um, more frustrated with the style of play and uh, – I think there was a frustration that he was being taken out of it as opposed to being able to work through it. But clearly there was a message that the coaches staff need to coaching staff needed to get in his ear about, because I, I remember seeing what I think you're talking about. And I just remember thinking right before that, like, boy, he's getting kind of roughed up and they're, they're, they're playing him a little bit more handsier than I had seen in previous games. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought I saw him slump a couple of times, like, and I was like, ah, that's not great. You can start seeing the confidence be a little bit of an issue. Um, but at the same time, like, look, the Kings, they they drafted a player who has a very unique skill set. Like, he, at the college level, he was like, I think it's 97% or 98% in the of all college players in the post. And that's including, like, you know, like, seven foot two dudes who are dunking every single time. Like, this is a guy who's really, really good around the basket. And the Kings haven't asked him to do that. And actually, they tell him not to do that. They tell him to get away from there um, because that's where Sabonis runs and that's where that's where Fox finishes. And so you've taken one element that is in his comfort zone and taken it away. And then he's almost become, like, just a three-point shooter in a lot of situations. And that's not who he is as a player. So... He's trying to have to like, like find himself and readjust and rethink about who he is as a player. And I think for a lot of times, I can see the wheels turning in his head. Like, And then when the Kings gave him like the opportunity in this last game to go down there and go get like three easy buckets at the rim, first of all, he needs to dunk the ball. Like what Mike Brown said about, you know, like you're giving players too much respect and you need to go in there and hammer a ball, which is what he said over the weekend, when I don't think any of the three of us were there at practice. Um, but like then I watched it, and he got three guys down low, and there were layups where he went up and like gently set the ball in the basket. Like, go give me a, a, a hammer dunk. Go, go get something that like gets yourself pumped up that like shows that you're in it and that you're being aggressive and – that you want it. And so th those are things where I, I kind of see, like, I don't buy that there's no confidence issue. Uh, I think there is a confidence issue, at least a little bit. And I'm not saying like he's lost all confidence, but I, I see like a player that's teetering a bit who, who needs to have a big game to like wake himself up and stabilize. But also like, he's not been a good rebounder. 
He's not done some of the other things that he did really well at the college level. And so there is some concern that like, look, man, if you can't, it can't just be about scoring. You got to do other things as well. And this team is a really good defensive team. I mean, it's a really good uh, rebounding, defensive rebounding team, but that doesn't mean he can't go get some of these rebounds because he's not. And so like the physicality of the game seems to be the biggest issue because I think rebounding is a big part of that that whole physicality uh, issue anyways. So there's just my thoughts. Like I'm not overly concerned. I think he'll snap out of it and, and find himself at some point. But like the fact that the Kings don't really have another option is a bit concerning and that they don't have another yeah. player that they can really turn to. Well, and he's look with, with respect to the analogy of college, I mean, he's playing against big boys here. You know, there's a, there's the size is so much bigger. The speed is so much faster and he's playing just frankly, a completely different role. Um, he's not this, um, uh, do everything workhorse, you know, it's, it's playing a specific role and sometimes it's standing in the corner. Uh, how do you react to coming away from the corner um, like someone like Miles Bridges or Miles Bridges, someone like Miles Turner does a lot, uh, especially if you, you know, watch film where, where Demonis Sabonis was playing along uh, Turner and the way he was able to stretch the floor. Can you play that role? And even if you're even if you do become this three, you don't have to just stand out at the perimeter the entire time. So um, it's it's how he navigates that. So I think it's it, it it'll it, these are part of the growing pains. And to Mike Brown's point, yeah, he's this is different because you're not you're not setting up so many things to um, uh, to set the table for your rookie like you do in Orlando, like you might be doing in Houston or uh, in, in, in even in Detroit. You know, you're not you're, you're this this play style is pretty equal opportunity, but you're you're playing a specific role and you're really like the third to fourth guy on the team when it comes to offensive scoring threat. So um, and I'm, I'm with you, James, on the rebounding thing. What, what's that? Five. Yeah. Probably he's the fifth. fifth. I mean, the yeah. starters, he's four. I mean, Malik fifth. Monk, my it goodness, the, the, the way he's playing, uh, on the scoring aspect right now, especially off the bench is everything I had imagined. Uh, but more so, you know, I oh, thought yeah. this guy would be very much a microwave Vinnie Johnson, but the way he just comes in and obviously the playmaking is there, but I'm telling you, I know I'm shifting gears here, but Malik Monk and Damana Sabonis have the best two-man game on the team, and it's it's like not even close. I mean, the guys just there was in that first in that first half when when Malik came in and they left Sabonis out there, they ran the same screen and roll every single time, and it was effective. I mean, they got buckets out of it. It was really impressive. You know what, Sean? Though, I, like you could say that, and I would say, well, I prefer the. Kevin Herter and Sabonis two-man game. And then Brendan could go, ooh, I like the Fox and Sabonis right. two-man game. I mean, I, I think the catalyst here is Sabonis, um, mm. which, again, like the fact that that guy doesn't have a triple-double yet is nuts. Like how many times he's come so close. But, um, yeah, I get what you're saying about Monk. And to be honest, like over the last like couple of the last three games at least uh, – it's been Sabonis and Monk carrying the team for a good portion of the game. And then, again, Davion, I think, has, has brought a spark off the bench. Even if he's not scoring, he's he has brought, like, an energy that's different. And it's, in the uh, the Phoenix game, I thought he was tremendous. And I actually thought 
he was not at all happy that he came out of the game late and uh and i think he like even ignored you sean like he didn't want to talk to you after the game which i thought was interesting not you specifically <laughs> no. he didn't want to talk to any of our any of our <laughs> no, he, he, he wanted to like get the heck out of there but i don't think he was happy that he came out of the game late um in in favor of De'Aaron Fox, who wasn't having a good game, and he thought he was having a good game. He was yeah. having a good no, game. No offense. No offense taken. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was having a good game, and, he, and he's been having good games, I think. I mean, we talked about the defensive struggles of this team. He's the one guy um, outside of Casey Akpala who doesn't do enough offensively to get it consistent minutes. We've seen him try recently, and I think he's actually been okay on offense, but um, – you know, I think that Davion obviously is somebody that's part of this rotation and he comes in and changed the energy on the defensive end. I, I There's been, I feel like multiple times he draws offensive fouls in each of these last few games. Um, he, he's great at fighting through screens. There was one loose ball last night that he's diving on the floor at half court. Like his energy, I think, is infectious and been really good for this team. And I did expect them to close with Davion last night and not in favor of De'Aaron, um, but I thought that maybe it was a debate with Malik and originally Malik did get pulled, but then he went right back to the scorers table and then got HB and then HB ended up replacing Davion. Um, I thought they might even just go with a small lineup for a minute. It looked like coach was kind of trying to figure out the best way to go. Um, and I kind of asked him about the lineup post game and he said that pretty much he went with HB over Davion for offensive purposes and still felt like HB was doing an all right job on book. Um, but I, I think Davion's been, much improved recently. I'd like to see him get more minutes alongside Fox. Um, and Malik is is just doing what he does. I mean, and like Sean said, and everything and more, like 30 and 8, I think it was last night. I've been shocked at his passing. Like, I, I've been, he said that he's always been a good passer and that now he's just getting an opportunity to showcase that. And he thanked Mike Brown for that. Um, I'm not sure, man. He's a crazy passer. And I, I just didn't quite realize the extent of it. Um, his acrobatic finishes are amazing. I've never seen somebody do so many like reverse layups with English on it. Um, they, those two guys, I feel like have been really good off the bench for the Kings recently. Yeah. That up and under in that game, like it happened like three or four times. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, we early in last season, I remember thinking that it was Fox and Halliburton and no one else on the, on the team could pass. And it like straight up, like because they some, didn't, yeah, they couldn't. Well, they they didn't, and they, you're right. They maybe they can't, but the year before, Harrison and Buddy had both averaged career highs in assists. The next year, they come in, and both of them shaved like a an assist and a half off of their their averages on the season. Rashawn Holmes is not a natural passer, so you got to this point where it was like man, it's only these two guys. If one of them steps off the court, you're you're totally screwed. Like, if both of them are off the court, you're done. You have no one to handle the ball. And now all of a sudden it's like you've got Fox, you've got Sabonis, you've got Monk, you've got Herter. Like, all of these guys can really pass. You've got Davion. Um, you know, even like Davion as a young player wasn't ready to be a passer at all last year early in the season. I'm still not sure that he is right now. He's had some some pretty nice passes himself, but not enough to like register. I think he's averaging around like two assists a game, but even like that, I mean, talk about a crazy stat. The Kings didn't play well offensively. They couldn't shoot a three at all. They had 32 assists. They had 22 assists in the first 22 half. at halftime. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it was absolutely crazy. So it doesn't feel like they're that far off. And anyway, um, okay, let's switch gears to our. Uh, well, we're not going to do Tuesday overreactions. Thank um, God. Oh, well, you know what? Maybe I think we, we already did, Tuesday. right? Oh, here we go. No, but we will do <laughs> the business of basketball. Um, we've got uh, we've got a game. We've got a game. Um, first of all, uh, Brendan, do you have plans to meet up with Tyrese Halliburton before the game and talk about his defensive uh, prowess this season? No, I, I just hope that he, you know, has a horrible game defensively and then I can give him a hard time afterwards. Oh, yeah, that would be nice. Uh, <laughs> Sean, are, are you looking forward to Buddy wearing his Halloween costume like Jason Anderson is? Dude, no, 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 never, never. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing both those guys for sure. And uh, I think that build, I think that building should probably sell out. It's there's plenty of tickets available though, but um, hopefully we'll see an amazing uh, atmosphere in there. I don't think that we'll see. um, I wonder if we'll see someone booed as every time he touches the ball. Boo or no boo? No, they should not. They shouldn't. And we were talking about that with. I agree. I agree. They shouldn't. I mean, here's the thing introduced give them a yay clap <laughs> show them their show them their due uh to both players really and then sure if you want to boo the hell out of them i mean it does create a little bit of a home court advantage i love it uh i, I do get i do like it but um i don't know if you need to boo them every time they touch the ball <laughs> that's like with marvin bagley that was pretty crazy uh, even harrison barnes was talking about that today like that didn't he didn't expect some of that stuff to happen but um but also, you know, yeah, I know people are still in their feelings when they hear Tyrese Halliburton on a on the JJ Reddick podcast, and he he's a nor- he's a regular on that show. I don't blame Tyrese Halliburton for feeling the way he does. I think he, sh- as a athlete, you should use that as motivation, and I think fans should know he's not talking about your city when he's talking about your organization. And no, he's flipping off the general manager and assistant general manager. Yeah, it's fine, and, and ownership. For to be honest, like. It's all part of it. That doesn't mean that that he's this like flippant, disrespectful it's kid. Like, like <laughs> no, but like you should feel that way, right? Like, it's not like you were traded at the back end of your career and now you're gonna go, you know, enjoy your remaining years of of basketball. No, man, this is a a guy who came to Sacramento and and everything uh, that he thought it was gonna be uh, was dashed in 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 a year and. It's because you ha- you were so good, you know. It's because you were. I mean, you were wanted, and you were. Both teams, like that's kind of the ironic part about it is, is like if you had to pick a winner of the of the trade. I mean, both teams really got better. I mean, they just really did. And he's putting up some incredible numbers right now, um, and so is Sabonis. Like, I think it, it both needed a fresh start. I think both teams, right now, a year later, almost a year later, are super thrilled with with where they're at. Uh, in having both of these players, and um, he should feel that way. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Like I, I talked uh, to Damian about this on on the radio today, and is there more like polarizing singular contract than Buddy Hield's? Like when he signed it, everyone, including guys like I remember Zach Lowe saying, "Oh, what a great deal they got for Buddy Hield." Buddy Hield was so angry that he didn't even want to play basketball anymore after that deal. He was pissed that he he didn't get more money. By the end of the first year, 
he was one of the worst contracts in basketball. No one would touch him. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they paid Buddy Heald that much money. Then, magically, they go to trade Buddy Heald for Kyle Kuzma and uh, Montrez Harrell, which I'm still not sure that that trade was ever even remotely close to real. But if it was, it was like, huh, that doesn't make any sense. So you would think that, oh, his trade value, I know, it was close, but his trade (laughs) value goes like, oh, you would think he's worth so much now. No, that was the only deal out there. They couldn't get rid of him at all afterwards. It was like, okay, there's not another deal to trade you. And then now we don't even hear about it. Not another deal that made you better, right? Like, you weren't giving... I mean, this isn't a guy that you're putting on... There's another deal that you you could... without taking back a bad contract, you couldn't. Just... Well, that's that's my point. Like you, you, you're not you're not going to do a deal just to just to. It's not addition by subtraction. And I know there were some people, in my opinion, who showed their ass by saying that. I don't think that's. You're talking about one of the most elite shooters in the league. Granted, he doesn't play like that on that team, but he he's playing it. He's playing a pretty decent role with where he's at with the Pacers right now. He's and good. I think. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think everyone would sign up to have that version of Buddy Heald. It's just unfortunate that what Buddy Heald was in Sacramento for his last two years, especially under a coach that wasn't a good fit for him. I'll just say that uh, you they they were having Buddy Heald do stuff that you shouldn't have Buddy Heald do. Simple. It's just simple. Yeah, yeah. Buddy Heald was getting assigned to Devin Booker, um, and bad and, idea. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and Buddy Hield, Buddy Hield by you know as James mentioned, like yeah, he he had the most like he had to add playmaking to his repertoire by default because there was none. Like you, it, him dribbling the basketball is not really what you want. Was you that really a coach though, that. or was that like roster? It's, bo- or it's both. I think it's it was both. Everything. It's it's yeah. not it's it's not having a high basketball IQ. It's him wanting to do what's best for the team. He's always trying to be a good teammate. Um, I know fans don't want to hear that because it's he's just easy to 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 sit there and and you know again, especially when you traded a, a, a franchise centerpiece at the time for him and all that stuff like it's just tough it's a, it's a tough fit but um you know he never <laughs> it, it, those are some very very frustrating times and and I get it but yeah tomorrow should be fun i think that also with his like we're going to continue to see the buddy healed contract conversation kind of evolve because it is a declining deal and it's 20 million this year, 18 the year after, and that's the final year. And it was always going to be the case that once you got that down to this last one or two, like then it's easier for a team to take on that contract and, and add buddy. So I, I think that we're going to continue to see the evolution of that deal. Okay. Um, I mean, by the way, yep. like with Duncan Robinson's making 90 million. Oh, but, no, no. That's yeah, no, but one bad yeesh. contract doesn't justify another. Well, I'm just saying, like, it just shows you what a premium shooting is in the league, right? Like, Buddy's Buddy's contract was actually pretty pretty incredibly done with all these escalators that could have happened. Like, Buddy was rather reluctant, as you as James mentioned, and it was true. Like, he's not he wasn't making an all-star team, you know? He wasn't – playoffs were not in the – we're not in the realm of possibility at that time because the team wasn't good. It's I've seen worse contracts out there, man. <laughs> oh no, there were. Uh, I, you mentioned 
Okay, so what's your favorite Buddy Healed moment? Like I, I because like you had because we'll do this with you with Ty, uh, because you didn't spend that much time with Buddy, right? Brent. Not too much, no. And and they didn't give us uh, him at media very often when I was there. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I don't think so. What was your favorite moment with Buddy? Like, there's some ridiculous moments with Buddy Healed. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I liked interacting with Buddy, man. Like, I, I really did. I, I would say among my favorite things is, is, like, I just don't understand why you go by Buddy when your name is Shivano. I think Shivano is an amazing name. And so I'd always, anytime he did something amazing, it's like, nah, it's Shivano Rainier healed. And, you know, he, but there's there's Buddy and then there's Shivano. And Shivano was, like, when Buddy was really, really good. So, uh, okay, cool Buddy, but... cool Buddy, you call Shivano. <laughs> Bad Dude. Buddy, you call Buddy. Do you remember why his name was Buddy? Yeah. It's a yeah, phenomenal it like story. Do- it was like the dog. Wait, something like about no. a dog. No, he's named no, after, I mean... after Bud on Married with Children. <laughs> his mom, Is that what it was? No, I remember there was a dog loved thing, Married dog with Children. Too. Yeah. And Bud Bundy, she started calling him Bud Bundy. Well, Bud. And but she couldn't call him Bud because there was a drug dealer on their block named Bud. Oh, that's so right. So she started yeah. calling him Buddy, um, and so that's why he was Buddy. Uh, my favorite moment was the day I had to go ask him, Buddy, are you twenty five or are you twenty six? Because you said it's your twenty sixth birthday on the air, and it's supposed to be your twenty fifth birthday. By everywhere, ever, you're supposed to be twenty five years old. Oh no, I'm 26. Like, uh, what exactly? I don't know how it happened. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what do you mean? You just literally picked up an extra. So one year he went from 24 to 26 while he was with the Sacramento Kings, which That's a lot of life. <laughs> I had to, I had to break that story <laughs> that went viral. You're like, really, buddy? You just aged a year. And yeah, I like, I liked Buddy. I liked having him around. He was fun. Uh, as a basketball player, there were moments which were like exhilarating, like his, his walk-off win where he was running all over the court after they beat, um, was that the, the Lakers shot? Uh, you beat the, you beat the Nuggets in Denver and, and ran and he hurdled that, that cable. That oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, yeah, um, it was, it was Bogdanovich who beat the Lakers. I like I like the uh, when he, that 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 whole training camp when he was in negotiations for the the contract and him and Vlade in the in the moments that they'd have he just look over him he'd always do this to to Vlade and um, and then he's in that open fan scrimmage or open to the to the I got it on video and it's like he hits this this <laughs> he hits this shot and he goes and looks at him and he's just does the whole money thing to him and it was it just, it always amused me but um yeah i it didn't end very well with buddy and the kings so different cat different cat yeah, now man. brennan you uh you had some moments like in your first year as a as a reporter with tyrese halliburton that were totally different like i and i i think that that like it helped you break in like it, it was a big moment but it also got you comfortable and like helped you like ask more questions and all that stuff. Yeah, it definitely did. Uh, he called me out for making the, the question that I asked Luke was super rookie move of me about like, you know, you're hiding Tyrese and then blah, blah, blah from there. Like no coach is ever going to say they're hiding a player. Um, and I know that now, but didn't know at the time. And Ty obviously heard and then started commenting on it. And 
Um, yeah, I mean, just the fact that he took it as and, and kind of went in a playful direction with it, um, I, I think did a lot for me. Like you were saying, like it, it made me a lot more comfortable. It could have been a very different scenario and way he went about that. And I, I think it's just kind of speaks to Ty's personality. I mean, even just at shoot arounds and practices, like just getting to hear him in that environment and everything, he was always, I, I thought, pretty up spirit and similar in a way to like Malik Monk. Now, uh, if I can stand anywhere, I'm trying to stand near Malik Monk and overhear that conversation. And I think Tyrese was kind of the same sort of way. So um, I, I hope that it's cheers for him tomorrow. I would expect that it would be. I, I tend to think the people that are agitated on him are probably vocal minority. Um, but we'll see what ends up happening. Uh, it's definitely going to be a fun one. And hopefully him and De'Aaron have uh, some fun back and forth. And Davion as well. Yeah. Oh, Dav- Davion for sure. I mean, Davion's going to – you might foul out of that game. If you remember that sit-down when they were supposed to go <laughs> – <laughs> my sit-down with them when they were supposed to go op- oppose each other during the, the rookie-sophomore game. And he's going to try and foul out of that game to show that he was really competing – I, that's I think Davion's gonna <laughs> Davion's really gonna look forward to that game. I, I look Car- Tyrese Halliburton might be one of the most charismatic athletes you'll ever meet in professional sports, and I've been doing this a long time. I mean that guy's a Hall of Famer in the media game. Um, so there was nobody more pissed off uh, to see him leave selfishly than I was because, for one, it screwed up my interview, and for yeah. second, like it took the one of the few beacons of light around this team away uh he was fun uh he was community oriented um he i mean show up at high school football games he, he would do stuff he he, he, he would, got a uh, bunch of people to buy top shots yeah, <laughs> and lose their money um <laughs> he, he got he got a ton of people like i mean he he'd, he'd know what the he'd have great t-shirts that he would wear that would speak to little pop culture references or things that were uh popping off on social that was surrounding the team. He had nice uh, callback to the, the heritage of the team and, and the guy wanted to be here. Uh, it was, it was everything you want, man. He's, and he was, and he could play, you know, but even if he couldn't play, it's like, boy, you hope he could be good because you just don't ever want him to lose that spark and that, that, um, that drive. And yeah, whether I, I had so many, the crazy part was like, because of the pandemic, James, we didn't get to meet Tyrese Halliburton for the for like for over a year. almost a year. Yeah, and uh, my first time meeting him was in Vegas at summer league, and uh, the year after his rookie season, the summer after his rookie season. So um, it that whole so it was really like his sophomore year was like being a rookie, and uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun that he had here. I think he he had a very good. Uh, impact on the organization for sure. And it didn't work out. I'm not convinced that it wouldn't have worked out, but it just didn't. And, uh, you know, people always wonder why they traded him. I think that's, that's simply a mathematics, economics, business type of move where of course, Indiana is going to want him. You've got team control. He doesn't make anything. (laughs) And if you compare that to somebody like De'Aaron Fox, who already has a max contract, well, you're going to go Tyrese Halliburton all day. It always comes down to this. Like Monty was brought up in the business that you never overvalue your own assets. You look at them for who they are and you try to prognosticate who they can be. And then you, you make a trade or whatever. 
They traded a guy who was averaging 14 points and seven assists a game for a two-time all-star 25-year-old center. And that's it. And and for that matter, when they did that, it also freed up cap space. It allowed them to take a, a another asset from that trade in Justin uh, Holiday and package him to go get Kevin Herter. Um, so you can actually look at the deal as like a much broader deal because losing Buddy Heald's contract was good for the franchise. Uh, losing Tyrese Halliburton was not. Gaining Sabonis was. Having the ability to go get a guy like Herter uh, just made a lot more sense. And so, I mean, at the end of the day, I think both teams did really, really well in the deal. And, uh, like, that's all you can say. Like, that's what you hope for every trade, that everyone gets a good deal. And I'll second what Sean said. Like, there's there's only been two players to ever come through, like, pre-draft or or anything else, really, that, that even it's it's CJ McCollum and it's uh, Tyrese Halliburton. Like, they stand out so far above everyone else. They just get it. They get all of it all the time. And, like, I don't think it's fake or disingenuous. They literally are just intrigued by it, just like we are by them, and they're they're all in. And so he was a great dude to cover. And I'm, I'm really glad that he had the relationship that – he had with you, Brennan, like that really, it like opened doors. Like it did, it was fun. And it was always like, you know, waiting for what kind of like witty retort he's going to throw your way during a press conference or whatever. And he never took it personal, even though it was like a jab at him, even, even though you didn't intend it to be, he never took it really personal and like held you a, like, like blasted you for it, which I thought was really, really cool. He was committed to the bit, much like Buddy Heald was with Jason Anderson. <laughs> yes. And it, and that might have been my favorite uh, interaction. And sometimes, you know, if you ever <laughs> if you were ever able to find those moments on the full videos that that I would post online, um, those were you, st- those you were still great. smoking, Jason? That's nasty. <laughs> That's nasty. <laughs> he would mess with Anderson all the time. Yeah, it was back and forth. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. Do we have any final thoughts? I think we're just about done because I've been sitting in this stool um, for most of the last six hours. I don't really have anything. I'm excited for tomorrow. Um, I think that either Buddy Hill is going to go crazy or maybe shoot his team a little out of the game. I feel like Buddy's a guy in my mind that is going to go in there and try to prove a point. And I expect Ty to do the same. Ty's been playing amazing and all of Indiana has been really good recently. Um, so I, I don't think that it's quite the matchup I expected it to be with Sack being like heavily favored how I would have thought coming into the year. Um, it should make for a fun game. Yeah. Sean? I'm surprised. Uh, no national TV for this game, right? Like this is a, uh, not even an NBA TV game, right? Or is it? I don't think so. Not it that I know. Not. A little surprising to me. A little surprising to me. Um, I know we give Brendan a lot of shit for not seeing movies and stuff like that. So uh, I want to throw out a movie that I saw in case anyone saw Because I was really looking back. Like, we're getting into, like, Oscar. Like, right around this time, like, all the greatest movies come out and everything like that. Uh, Vengeance. If you haven't seen it, it's on Peacock. Go watch it. B.J. Novak. Really, really good movie. I think it might be one of the best movies I've seen all year. So, Ooh, um, okay. yeah. I saw um, uh, Glass Onion this weekend. Yeah. Um, I, I was entertained. It was different. I gotta see the knives out. The sequel. Oh, you've never seen knives out? No, I saw the first one. I gotta see the. Well, that's s- the glass the onion. That is, yeah. Oh, that's what that is. Yeah. 
Oh, okay. I thought it was just like Knives Out, like part two or some shit. No, like no, that. it's, it's Knives know. Out, The Glass Onion. Horrible movie knowledge, Sean. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, that's bad. Let's get it together. Bad Jeez. job, on, bad job on me. The cast, by the is way, incredible. Like, I was a little disappointed that uh, no one brought up our our coaching session that showed up in the in the run. Um. Oh yeah. Thought we'd see a little bit more of that. I thought we were actually going to get like a like a, a portion of the video that we could uh, put on social. But if that was all it was, all it looked like was me putting my hands on <laughs> Mike Brown, and that was really it. <laughs> like my forearm so well i'm glad they didn't post my missed layups oh see that's what i was really hoping see for. i had two missed layups stuff like that out of i think the only two shots that were taken well someone no, there was have. there was one more shot yeah no that's man of you to admit that though who that's... what my bad layups yeah well yeah because a lot of guys were out there just like talking talk about how great they were <laughs> and you know no 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 you, you, you mentioned i've never been able good to be a, a good layup man uh-uh I'm I'm a horrible offensive player. No, but I set oh. mean picks and I play defense. Well, I did. Like, there's nothing left in this body. <laughs> that, that ain't happening. There, there ain't no media pickup game happening with this. I tell this I body. tell everyone no media pickup game. I'm a, I was a baseball player and a shitty football player, so there's no. I never claimed to be a basketball player at all. Also, by the way, the run we were just talking about how awful like the the the, the scheduling is for these professional athletes. But shout out like. Miguel Lopez and Lucas O'Connell, the equipment managers uh, with the Kings, they do an incredible job. And those dudes, they don't get paid like these athletes do, and they work about 10 times as much. Like, I was talking to Miguel, and he gets some FaceTime, him and Lucas both, uh, in the in the most recent version of the run. So if you haven't seen it, go check it out, because those guys are like a lifeblood to an NBA team, and they got two good ones, so... Sweet. Uh, shout out Miguel and Lucas. Yeah. All right. Uh, final thoughts for me. Um, I don't know. I don't. Oh, <laughs> you're sore. Go, go Team USA. That was fun today. Um, the uh, Team USA knocked off uh, Iran uh, 1-0, and that was a heck of a game. Iran had a bunch of shots late, like, uh, and that was an aggressive, physical, really fast team. And I thought that USA would have trouble. I even thought, I thought USA would lose to them after watching uh, Iran versus Wales. Uh, but yeah, uh, made it to the uh, second stage of of the FIBO World Cup. Uh, so what's that mean? FIBO what's next? Uh, it's a knockout stage. So Do you, I, we don't know who they have yet. Uh, ooh, they made uh, it out of group stage? Yeah, they made officially? it out of group. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, them yeah. in England? Yeah, uh, England is uh, number one. They're they're number two coming out of the group stage. Okay. Um, yeah, they play. Oh no, I want to say I should know this, but I've been at Kings all day. But uh, yeah, Mark, I mean, Fox Forty is the play? home of the World Cup, so I should know this stuff. We've got a lot of stuff that they've been doing over there uh, before and after the game. So, yeah. by the way, if you haven't che- if you haven't checked it out, it's probably on YouTube on the Fox Forty YouTube. But if you're a soccer fan. Uh, Republic coach Mark Briggs was incredible breaking down uh, the the World Cup for us afterwards. I, if you if you're a soccer fan, go check it out. I had I wasn't watching it. I had seen a portion, and I had about three friends text me right out of the gate saying how awesome it was. So they're not even Republic fans, or mm-hmm. one of them is one. Two of them weren't. So 
Yeah, I'll, I'll look at that. Um, I, I definitely play Netherlands, by the way. Oh, Netherlands. Yeah, there we go. Uh, yeah, not the Nether regions. Just make sure we understand. It's the <laughs> Netherlands, not the, the Nether regions. Not the not. Yes. Do you remember the movie? I can't remember the movie. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> good one though uh netherlands that should be uh, a tough matchup um like but at this point all of the matchups are tough i i love watching soccer i, I love uh world cup uh, i was in europe one time for euro cup that was a, a blast although we were in belgium and like the hooligans trashed the city so everywhere you went there like they had to call in the national guard there are dudes mach- with machine guns everywhere um yeah so it gets a little uh, wow. it's a little emotional over there there is no lighting the beam, and everyone no. feels good. Like they lose, and stuff gets broken. Stuff gets oh, broken. Geez. Yeah. So, um, all right. Uh, well, I think that's going to do it for this edition of the Kings Beat Podcast. Uh, if you're still watching, please give us a thumbs up. If you're listening somewhere, give us a rating and review, whether it's Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, outside of that, we've got uh, become a premium subscriber to the Kings Beat. Um, we're going to have a happy hour. I think it's going to be next week. Uh, but like, it's like it's dodging, like trying to, trying to pin, pin this one down is never easy. So, uh, we'll figure it all out. So for Fox 40s, Sean Cunningham and Brendan Nunez from the Kings Pulse podcast. I'm James Ham, Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. We'll see you later this week. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.